Should Jesus be used as a lucky charm? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me is Josh Hayes. Josh, how's it going, man? Hey, doing well, Aaron. Uh, now that you've mentioned uh, Lucky Charms, I'm all of a sudden hungry, hungry for some cereals and Saturday morning cartoons. Well, you know, it is like it is nearly Lifeway lunchtime, so that kind of makes sense. That yes, I, uh, I guess we can justify it some somehow. Any excuse to eat Lucky Charms is a is a good excuse or is is a valid one. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, today we are um, in our zigzag through the uh, through Acts and the Epistles. We are zagging, I believe, back into Acts. So we've been out in the Epistles for a couple of weeks. We're coming back in at Acts chapter nineteen, uh, and we are going to be discussing one of my favorite moments in Acts in uh, in this week's episode, uh, but. Josh, how about you? Uh, how about you get us started with a little bit of context on what we are going to be talking about? Right. So I guess we're we're back to zagging. We zig. Yes. Um, back when we were in the epistles. So this week, last week, we've been in the Acts narrative. Uh, so we're in we're in Acts uh, nineteen, and so uh, Paul has been following up with various churches uh, in different areas where he, he's uh, proclaimed the gospel, planted planted churches. And so we're seeing him in Acts 19 on his third uh, missionary journey. And, and this journey um, took him mainly, um, as we mentioned, uh, to many churches that he either planted or, or sought to minister to during, during that time of his uh, first and second journeys. And so he, he continued to revisit these places to um, follow up, see how they were doing. It's really a good model of discipleship to know that it's you know, it's not over once you lead people to Christ, once you give them a clear understanding of the gospel, that there, there's more work to, to be done. Mm-hmm. And uh, as he as he uh, revisited these places where he uh, had planted churches or proclaimed the gospel in some manner, uh, he sought to evangelize uh, new people even. So it shows you don't, it's not really either or. Do you do ministry with people who already follow Christ or do you uh, concentrate on uh, non-believers that uh, will, and Paul, we see we see him doing both. We see him engaging those who uh, have yet to to hear the gospel and come into uh, sustained contact with the with the Christian community. Uh, but mm-hmm. we also see him continue to to lead and teach uh, those who had had begun following yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna read. We're gonna do what we typically do, which is read the passage, and then we'll ask a few questions. So uh, here is Acts nineteen verses one through twenty. So while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found uh, some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized? He asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him. That is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. 
But some, but when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and con- and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Um, then uh, this went on for for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Je- and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even face cloths and aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the, by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The, the evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and discussing their pra- disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver— in this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. So you you can see why I enjoy this passage so yeah. much already yeah. here. But uh, before we get there, let's dig in and ask a few questions of it. So, Josh, how about you kick us off with the first one? Sure. I'm still trying to get over the, the phrase naked and wounded. Uh, yes. When, when that happens, you know, you know, your night's gone wrong. You know, you know, you're in a bad place <laughs> if that's how you're. Being yeah, that's described. a that's a rough night for sure. But uh, on a serious note, one of the first questions we should uh, ask in looking at this pa- passage uh, would be, well, what, uh, what were, um, who were these disciples that whom Paul met? Uh, were, were we, we read, read them described as uh, disciples of John the Baptist? And in case you don't know, we're, we're no longer in uh, Jerusalem anymore. Uh, where uh, John the Baptist ministry would have been prevalent uh, there in the, in the area we today call uh, Palestine as he prepared the way uh, of the Messiah. So, you know, we're not given this overtly or explicitly in, uh, in the Acts narrative about how and where these disciples came from, but they most likely relocated from, uh, from the area around Jerusalem to uh, Ephesus for some reason, and they have some sort of knowledge uh, of John the Baptist ministry and that uh, he was uh, proclaiming a, a baptism of, of repentance and proclaiming uh, a Messiah who, who was to come and that people were to, to get ready uh, appropriately for that. So they, they received baptism, but it, it wasn't Christian baptism, not the, not mm-hmm. the type of baptism that Jesus had commissioned uh, before his ascension, after he had risen from, from the dead to, to be baptized in the name of the father and the son and of the Holy spirit. And so th- this is a really unique situation where you have these people who have some knowledge of, uh, of scripture based on John's ministry, the need to repent, the need to be baptized in a, in a, in a certain form. Uh, but these people really are, are uh, an example of people sort of 
out of time as, as it were, you know, to reference uh, comic books, like we always have to, you know, Captain America is referred to as a man out of time and that he's from a, a bygone era, right? Since he yep. uh, finds himself in the modern world, even though he uh, uh, was born and lived during the World War II era. And then now he's a man out of time, out of his original context. And these people are living, these followers of John the Baptist, they're living in a way that reflects uh, that, that the Messiah hadn't come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. They're, they're living as if, uh, as if the Messiah hasn't come and brought his kingdom and dealt with sin through his death on the cross and conquered death uh, through, through his resurrection and, uh, and that the spirit hasn't been sent. They, they, that's one of the most overt ways that's, that's made known in this passage that they, they haven't even heard that there's, a, yeah. that there's a Holy Spirit. So they're, they're not living uh, as if Messiah has come and Messiah has uh, given his spirit uh, to his people, which is something prophesied uh, in, 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 the, in the Old Testament. And so we're really um, seeing an example of how you can't take people's knowledge of, of the gospel for granted and that they do have the right understanding of, of who Jesus is. And so they, they, they were authentic in terms of their uh, desire to, to repent and follow truth and to escape God's judgment. judgment. Uh, but their, their knowledge of, of, of the gospel, of what God had done to, to save sinners in Christ was was in, incomplete. Uh, did, did you have anything you wanted yeah. to add to that, Aaron? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, um, and you know, this uh, of course gets a little bit ahead of ourselves, but uh, but I, I think that there's an important practical ministry reminder mm-hmm. that we can that we can see here, which is really that we should never be afraid to ask questions of those who I, say they believe in God, especially if they're saying it in kind of a general general way, um, you know, or if they are 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 folks who are saying that they're Christians. I mean, think about the context that you and I live in presently, right. um, where, you know, there there is a bit of an air of, well, everyone's kind of a Christian because they're either because they're Americans or because they live in the South or because they go to church. Um, and so we can ask good questions about that, that, that aren't, that aren't, you know, raising the, raising a, a flag necessarily, mm-hmm. but just asking questions about their experience. Like, so how, how were they saved? How did they meet Jesus? What is God teaching them through, through the Bible? And these things can be very revealing right? Um, as we do those, because we can see whether or not someone actually is, uh, whether someone actually has genuine faith at all, or we can see where they are under discipled. Um, and so it gives us an opportunity to share the gospel and to minister to others as well. Um, basically to to do as Paul did in this instance. Um, another thing that happened is is that you know as you as you see, Paul continues in this passage to follow his pattern of first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And so he goes to the synagogue and he preaches there for three months and he's seeing people come to faith and then, um, and then it said, and then it says that there were a group that started to slander the way. Well, why would they do that? And so, first, uh, just as a quick reminder, um, the way was the actual original name for Christianity, and and it picks up from what Jesus said about himself when he said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Um, Jesus being the way, <laughs> um, and so also referring to following the teachings of Jesus. So it's that both and aspect of it. 
um, because you can't follow Jesus without his teaching, without following his teachings, and you can't follow his teachings without following the man Christ Jesus. Right. Um, so it's it's all encompassed together, but um, really what it comes down to is is the is that their their slander was based in their hard heartedness in their sin. Ultimately, they um, and this is this is just the reality when we see opposition genuine opposition and i what and by genuine opposition i don't mean uh people are uh hostile to us because we're being jerk stores sure. um and um and we really need to take our purchase from that store back and uh, get our money back but um uh but they um but what we have but the issue there is is that they are so in love with their sin, so so enslaved to it, essentially, that they can't, uh, that anything that is going to confront or conflict with that, um, and you um, is going to be something that they are going to reject and rebel against. Um, and that's especially important when it comes to understanding the gospel, because the gospel is a direct confrontation to all of our sinful tendencies, not just our oh the overt sinful tendencies that we think of, like the things that um, the things that God says not to do, for mm-hmm. example. So lying, stealing, adultering, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, but also. It's a confrontation toward our desire for self-justification, for self-righteousness, for a um, for a self-made salvation that we can never attain. Um, it's ultimately it's it's the ultimate confrontation of our own making our gods in our own image. Because the true God has come and has said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me." Right. Right. And you, you think about, too, how the gospel, when it's drawing us from our sinful tendencies, and that's why people resist it, that can look like everyday life as we see the people who riot later in the passage and here in Acts 19. It's because the gospel penetrating and bringing new followers to Jesus uh, took away business for those uh, for, for artisans who worked in um, making idols and adorning shrines and temples of, 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 and so forth that were common in uh, Ephesian uh, civil life. I mean, you had very much the local pagan religions in the Roman Empire were tied to a lot of the, the industry in various locations. And so there were uh, economic ramifications for the gospel to go forth. And then so mm-hmm. it, it's upsetting both to Gentiles in that regard, and it's calling them away uh, from following false gods and pursuing uh, corrupt uh, practices that are harmful to themselves and and mm-hmm. and, dis- and 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 de- deceptive toward others, but then also it's uh, the the gospel's an affront and an offense to the Jewish community because they're saying that their religion, as it as it as it stands then, is is incomplete, and you need to recognize that Messiah has come and has and has. Uh, brought about the kingdom of God and has manifested it in the form of the new covenant where uh, we, where we uh, no longer um, maintain uh, our customs based on uh, the law of Moses in the, in the same way. Mm-hmm. And so, and so it's, it's a scandal. The gospel itself is a scandal and in a right in its own right. And this, this is why we see such, such resistance. That's how sin 
uh, manifests its, its resistance in their it's in cultural form is how sin is expressed is i mean everything about a culture is sinful but people will fight the gospel to maintain the status quo that's what we that's what we see here in Acts 19 yeah absolutely and um I, i'm glad that you mentioned uh the riot that 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 comes after all of all of this in ephesus um because something that i was wondering is is if if Paul wasn't was a professional wrestler, and you know how they all have theme songs, sure, and sure. they you know they got their their walk on music and stuff yeah, like this. Yeah, I feel like Paul's would be uh, I predict a riot by the Kaiser Chiefs. <laughs> I just that just feels like it would be it would be fitting for for him because wherever he goes, trouble ultimately follows because he's sharing the gospel. So um, anyway, it's, there's it's my. Funny. There's my random pop cultureness for there for the you go, and, and I'm surprised you're the first one to bring up pro wrestling among the two of us on the podcast. That that's usually my bag, but uh, you know, uh, this is me contextualizing for you, Josh. Oh, thank you. Blessings on your head. Absolutely, um, you were not far from the kingdom, Aaron. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, next question really is the one that is is more or less at the heart of the the question that led off this episode um, of Lucky Charmism and. Um, you know, in Jesus, which is why would people who don't believe in Jesus uh, try to exercise demons in his name? And so this is this is one of these events that uh, really highlights uh, the that spiritual warfare is the context for ministry and evangelism, that when we are sharing the gospel, we're not we're not just sharing. We're not just um, trying to persuade people about what they believe or, or to believe something or not to believe something. Um, we are engaging in a, a, a battle between two kingdoms. Right. Um, and so that is, um, so there's a depth to it that's a little bit more. And there's a cheap way of saying, uh, of, of trying to approach Jesus. I mean, uh, you know the the we jo- we've jo- joked before we got started about uh, um, about Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby, and how there's a scene when he is having he's having an an issue after an accident, and he starts screaming about being on fire, and he's he's saying and he starts basically praying to everybody that he can think of saying save me jesus save me uh buddha save me jewish guy save me tom cruise save (laughs) me oprah and he's just hedging his bets and so this is the kind but this is the way that people approach jesus as if he's some sort of talisman or lucky charm or or incantation Mm -hmm. and that's the way the sons of skiva were doing this um but i love how in this passage it all just turns on gets turned on its head right like with the demon saying oh i know who jesus is and i and i've heard of paul mm-hmm. and then just saying but who are you basically saying no <laughs> yeah and so there's a there's like so there's a bit of a um because we tend to be very um, either dismissive of spiritual realities in the West because we've been so conditioned by um, modernity to right. ignore um, spiritual realities. 
um, even in the church, um, we have we have had this problem that um, we c- we can give lip service to these things, but there is this reminder that it's like if we are in Christ, we are known by not just by Christ, but we're heard of, we're our we're aware of, made aware of within um, within the enemy camp to varying degrees. Yes. That really drives home the, the seriousness that is this comes with being a Christian and, and doing, doing ministry. We, we can't uh, alienate ourselves or um, escape, evade the reality that is the, the spiritual world. And that that's just the inherent context in which we're, in which we're doing, in which we're doing ministry. And um, here and in, in this passage, as you, as you were, pointing out you have the sons of Sceva trying to invoke Jesus name as if it were almost like a, a magical formula as it were. And that was not something that was uh, uncommon in Jewish practice in, in, in the first century as we have records of what rabbis suggested as far as casting out evil spirits and just this different sort of con- um, written conjecture about how spirits behave and what's the best way to drive them about and using different sort of recipes and rituals mm-hmm. to, to get them to um, to get them to uh, to, to stop um, attacking or bother a person, and here they they try to do that because they might have been. This would be from a Christian standpoint, but what might have stood out was how Jesus and the apostles, their ministries uh, were reputable because they they spoke with authority and power, mm-hmm. and people who were publicly known to have ha- had some sort of um, demonic. Um, oppression upon them um they they were known to successfully uh, exercise uh, and 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 cast out drive away these 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 evil spirits so this this would be something that would have attracted uh people of that kind of stature within the jewish community that we'll we'll see if invoking jesus name will make it, our, ourselves more effective at influencing the the spiritual realm so that would have been a that would have that would have been a uh, an, an appealing uh, power and influence to, mm-hmm. to, have, to have had. And so that's what, that's what, what, what we're seeing here and how dangerous that is. Yeah. And so for us, we, I mean, this, this is something that we, uh, we should, we should play with, you know, people want to always make fun of the, of the Christian mom or the church lady that's uh, scandalized or nervous around Ouija boards, but uh, there, there is some basis for that. It doesn't mean that uh, the Ouija board is going to, you know, crawl out of the box at night and murder you in your sleep. But oh. when you're in, when you're trying to interact with this spiritual world, if it's real, is the is the Bible attest to it being real? Well, it's not something that we should, uh, we we should we should laugh at or uh, treat lightly. Um, so that so here here we have a have an example, a more extreme example. It's not always this dramatic when we're when we're doing ministry. Uh, but nonetheless, you're seeing a yeah. confirmation that spiritual warfare is, is is indeed real. Yeah, and and I mean, we also see just how how God used even that to uh, continue to elevate the name of Jesus. That mm-hmm. um, God does not suffer that kind of foolishness lightly, and so. Um, specifically the foolishness of of treating Jesus like a formula or a talisman or or any of the other things. Right. Basically right. treating it like a magical object or him like a magical object, I should say. Um, it being his name, 
him being a person. Yeah. Um, so once again, people, no heresy. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, the result of what happened was that that th- was that Jesus' name became even more renowned, um, and it ultimately it seems like it created. Um, a more fertile ground for Paul's ministry, at least up until it started radically changing the community itself. Um, so, uh, and that leads really to the next question. Do you want to kick us off on that, Josh? Yeah. So we're, we're wanting to look at uh, guidance about, you know, uh, leading, leading others uh, in the, in this um, passage. And so one, one of the things we, um, we should not take for granted is, is, as we pointed out earlier. And so really this is, somewhat of an echo what we early what we discussed earlier is that just because we see people attracted to christianity or have some kind of interest in the bible i mean i teach old testament to to undergrads and i can't assume their christianity either and and so i I try to also make the gospel overt as i can as i unpack the, the meaning and significance of, of, of the Old Testament. So here uh, we're, we're seeing the need for that to happen uh, with these disciples of John the Baptist who hadn't received the Holy Spirit or even know that, that he uh, existed. And so th- this passage really is a model of, of sorts of how we don't want to take anything for granted when it comes to those who uh, might uh, come upon us um, who have some kind of um, tangible interest in the Bible, interest in being around uh, the, the community of the church. Uh, they, they can be sincere. They can, you know, genuinely want community, genuinely want to grow spiritually and, and, and gain spiritual knowledge. Um, they can, uh, you know, acknowledge that God's word is true and want to understand it better. Uh, but you can have a partial, partial understanding of, of who God is, who Jesus is, what, what salvation is, and thus they don't they don't really have salvation yet because they've they've not uh, responded to the, the the fullness of what god's revealed and jesus coming and the and the expectation for repentance and faith in, in the specific person and work uh, of jesus uh, the puritans had this category what's called the almost christian somebody mm-hmm. who has uh, a more than casual knowledge of what the bible teaches and about what what uh, what what uh, christian community might look like what a pious uh, holy life might might look like but there's still a disconnect uh, of some sort and so that's really to be sub-christian and to be a sub-christian is to be a non-christian now i know those with sensitive consciences those who are always worried that they uh didn't say the the sinner's prayer the right way or, di- or didn't respond to an invitation the right way. This, this stirs up a lot of doubt and uh, lack of assurance in them. And so I'm not saying that to sort of um, make them feel um, um, out, out of so- sorts or restless. Yeah. But, you're not creating any sort of insecurity or anything right. Right. Like so, 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 so there is an objective basis for, uh, assurance in, in our salvation in Christ. And that's that we look to Christ himself. And then in community with other believers, does our life reflect our profession? Doesn't mean it does so perfectly, but is there consistent fruit uh, being born? And that comes out of a, that comes out of a complete under, not an exhaustive, but a mm-hmm. complete understanding uh, of the gospel of that 
Jesus died in our place, after living in our place to fulfill the law on our behalf so that we might be made right before God and it rests entirely on what he did on our our behalf. And then the Holy Spirit has come to live in us to empower us for uh, sanctification and and, and obedience. And so as we obey, we can we can confirm that that faith. And again, it's not, it's not perfect obedience, uh, but we have a basis. And that's why we do, that's why we work this out in community. We're not just left to ourselves, navel gazing, wondering if, if we've really, if we've really been saved, if our knowledge is ad- adequate, but we, but what we, what we do want to confront is this sort of idea that you become Christian through osmosis, through kind of just being on the fringes of uh, Bible belt culture or, some type of Christian community. Uh, there's no, there's no justification by osmosis. That's, yeah. It's justification by faith, and that's personal, conscious faith in the in the person of the uh, of, of the Lord Jesus. Man, and that is so tricky. I mean, that is that is honestly something that I think about a lot in my in my own family, largely because the the context for my kids in terms of a spiritual. Uh, spiritual reality is so different from what I had when I was a kid. So, because they're growing up in and around it and seeing all of it, and where it was a complete non thing for me. So, there's always that question of like, okay, do I see, do I see almost, or do I see genuine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that can that's be, a, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a process, and as you see, you know, Paul when he was. Here in Ephesus, it was a it was a three year period where he's yeah. doing doing ministry. So yeah. it, 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 we're, we're we walk with people in process. And, you know, we always want to commend and encourage people taking a step toward Jesus. But sometimes when we're you know we're not so sure that they really have a uh, mature understanding of the gospel or a complete understanding uh, of the gospel that would warrant the conclusion that they've been converted and should then you know seek to be baptized uh, and then join the church that that sort of thing. Well. Let's not rush it. Let's let them work out this in process and in community together. Let's commend them. Let's not discourage, but mm-hmm. let's also not be too too quick quick to confirm. Sometimes that will happen that somebody makes a positive uh, step toward Jesus when we're out doing evangelism or in the context of somebody visiting our churches regularly, and we want to rush to pronounce them a Christian. Well. Let's let's be patient. Let's give it some time. If 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 God's doing a work, He who began a good work with you, working you uh, in Christ Jesus, will complete it. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's let's let let's let that let's let that fruit kind of come out of natural soil, rather than be too quick to try to try to uh, label that fruit or harvest that fruit. Yeah, yeah, that is a that is a really really good point. And um, the the final thing that we should just say really is just. Uh, a recap of um, some of the stuff we talked about earlier with spiritual realities that we need to be re- we need to acknowledge the reality of the spiritual world while also not expecting every evangelistic encounter to look as dramatic as what we've seen in this passage. So, I mean, we see all throughout the New, the New Testament that Jesus, the apostles, their associates, they're casting out demonic or evil spirits as the gospel moved into new territory. Um, something more prevalent with Jesus and the apostles, uh, because this, and this is more, this is more prevalent there because in the gospels and acts, uh, we're seeing this new era of redemptive history begin. And so we are, we are seeing 
this dramatic turn mm-hmm. in the in the events of the story of redemption. And so um, so it's not unusual for there to be greater skirmishes and and more of a of an overt um a, what's what could almost be seen as a cold war uh suddenly yeah. go hot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and so that is um and and so that's kind of what we're seeing there uh so that now what acknowledging this reality does means also is also what it doesn't mean because it doesn't mean that every Christian has been authorized with the same level of authority for exorcism. So um, not all of us should should expect that uh, we should be we should be able to or have to um, do such a such a thing. Um, you know when First John. Uh, gives the exhortation to test the spirits. He's thinking about he's he's thinking about that from a multiple perspectives. It's where what is the source of this kind of what is the source of a particular teaching, but also like is this something that I can actually proper like if it's but if we're going into a supernatural category, is this actually something that I can <laughs> that I can handle mm-hmm. um, on my own? And often the answer is no. Um, preaching the gospel in places where Christ is not known, um, of course, is the best way to, to cast, to drive away any sort of, of darkness. And, um, the farther and the, and the deeper we go into gospel ministry and to gospel mission into, uh, into these spirit, into spiritually dark places, um, we are more likely to see things like that and we are more likely to um to hear stories of it so what we need to do is is where and and honestly i would not be surprised if there's a time when places that we think of as, as being very gospel reached <laughs> are um are places where we we see and hear that um because everything is a cycle <laughs> with right, people right. Uh, uh we're we're prone to believe, then assume, then then uh, then forget, then de- or then deny, then forget, um, and then we have to start all over again. That's that's the pattern that we see all through the the life of of the Israelites, for example. Yeah. Um, but as we pursue the gospel, as we pursue people with the gospel. Um, as we will see eventually these kinds of experiences either in reports or in our own lives. And when we do, um, we can actually take, we can actually be encouraged by that in some ways because it means that the gospel is going forward. Yeah. And we also know that Jesus has authority over all of those things. Jesus right. has um, is Jesus rules and reigns right now. They know who Jesus is and they know who they are in relation to Jesus. And they're not thinking they can beat him. The question is, is do they know us? And if we're in Christ, they do. So don't go chasing demons. Right. Acknowledge the spiritual reality pursue people with the gospel. Yeah. That's what we need to do. Yeah. 
and that that's a good word to end on i don't want to convolute anything that you said because i don't want to take away how it might be um stirring people to to contemplation and to into action uh one one thing just to kind of contextualize this this passage uh you know to us as westerners and as you mentioned modernity's had such a um effect on us as to not make us see things in spiritual and supernatural uh categories we you know very scientific minded in terms of explaining uh phenomena just on a on a natural basis cause and effect and and there's 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 good to that and actually a lot of scientific enterprise came from the christian worldview that a rational god made the world world so the world behaves rationally uh so it's not that it's bad to seek scientific explanation for phenomena but if you were to have uh, somebody from a uh, context somewhere in Africa read this passage, they're going to be less surprised and less scandalized by it. When you're in cultures where the worshiping of animal spirits or ancestors and things of that nature, uh, worship practices um, where there's more uh, a lot more sort of um, ecstatic uh, activity and utterances and chanting and th th things, that, things of that nature, uh, this, this is not going to surprise them that this kind of report that's described in Acts 19 with the with the demonically um, empowered man overpowering the sons of Sceva or the people uh, in Ephesus becoming upset that their their religious economic lives are being infringed upon uh, by by the by, by the gospel. They're mm -hmm. going to be much more prone to be familiar with that sort of. Uh, that sort of experience and that's really uh where you see the uh or where you hear about reports of uh, tangible uh demonic activity where spiritual power is prevalent in these places where the gospel gospel hasn't penetrated uh, and so and so you hear more reports of, of miracles uh and that sort of frontline context source that would be the, analogous to the apostles and their associates going out to these uh, new new parts of the world with with the gospel where the kingdom is 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 um bursting forth on on areas where, where it hasn't already and then you have you have the demonic culture the spiritual forces who have had had taken captive uh these these areas really uh being um loosed of, of, of their power if we if we could we could put it put it that way so it, it, you know we're to we should expect to see it as the gospel goes forth in new ways uh in the context of the gospel acts narratives where you're seeing a shift in uh, salvation history but then also as the gospel goes forth where christ is not known and where there's where there's been people who have been in spiritual darkness for centuries uh we shouldn't be surprised to see um, that there's a certain level of uh, demonic or uh, resi uh, resistance on, on the uh, mm -hmm. spiritual side uh, and, and that regard. And, and like I said, it's us being in the West where Christianity's been the prevailing religion and people have been influenced by uh, modernity to an extent where the supernatural's not even a category for a lot of people. Uh, that that just doesn't this doesn't fit into the worldview. So that just doesn't seem to be where God is working in terms of confirming His presence and His activity. Whereas in parts of the world where the worldview is different, where they uh, see spiritual authority derived and displayed uh, through uh, one spiritual power um, gaining influence over the other, well then that that God's using that 
in order to demonstrate the the um, illicit power of the gospel. Man, that's a great note for us to end on. So uh, let's let's call it for today. Uh, thanks for chatting today, Josh, and thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.